This is an ABC podcast. Countrywide on ABC Radio. Support businesses are going to go to the wall just like dairy farmers will. We've seen the whole agricultural community come out. Once people leave communities, they don't. They generally don't return. Countrywide. Don't worry about me. Go and speak to your farmers. We're already losing businesses. Get out there and speak to your farmers today. Today. Countrywide. The politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. G'day, Kit Mocken here. Great to have your company today on Countrywide. Today on the program, you're going to hear from someone who drives 200,000 kilometres a year on the state of some outback roads. A few insights there. And I wonder if this sound rings a bell. If you had a boy or a girl who grew up playing computer games in the 90s, it might be familiar. Now scientists are using that game to save native Australian ants. You'll find out how a bit later. But first, it's hard to escape the weather this week. And now it's official. September 2023 was Australia's driest on record. In a blow to farmers with crops to grow and hungry mouths to feed, the average amount of rain that fell across the country was 71% less than normal. National weather reporter Tyne Logan joins me now. Tyne, exactly how dry has it been? Uh, really, when you look at the map, it's, it's been really widespread. The Bureau of Meteorology releases these rainfall decile maps. They cover areas in red that have had below average rainfall and it spans from east to west and really quite high up as well. The average amount of rain to fall across Australia this year was just 4.8 millimetres. I was trying to get a visual of just how low that was and uh, you know, I managed to fit it in a tiny little syringe. So I, I don't think you know it, it requires too much imagination to figure out just how small that is. Very, very small amount. So what particular areas of the country are most affected at the moment? Yeah, so I mean, there's this really dark red area, particularly for September around the southeastern parts of the country. And they were really dry before this as well. So during winter, we had this kind of like, it's almost like a big chunk out of, um, big bite out of Western Australia that was looking really dry, uh, particularly along the West Coast. And then also along the coast of New South Wales and spreading into Victoria. And those are the places that have had a really dry September too. What's behind it, Tyne? What's driving it? Yes, there's always a bit going on when we're talking about the weather, but there are a few key reasons it's been happening. So one of them is the major climate driver, El Nino. It really kicked into gear in September and that helps drive rain away from eastern Australia. There's a similar phenomenon known as a positive Indian Ocean dipole that's underway on the other side of the country in the Indian Ocean. That also is linked to dry weather really across most of Australia. And there's also climate change, which has seen a trend of reduced rainfall across southern Australia in the cooler months of the year. So all of those things combined, plus a bit of natural variability, and we've had the result um, that we've seen. Farmers have been a bit of a, a canary in the coal mine about this dryness recently, even though we have seen a really weird mix of fires and floods in Victoria this week. And we are going to hear about some crop saving rains in New South in just a tick. But weather wise, is there anything good around the corner for them or is this going to continue? I mean, uh, not really. Um, I, I really wish I could say that, you know, it was going to turn around and it would be the perfect the perfect amount of rain to finish. And, you know, fingers crossed, maybe it, maybe it still is, but 
um, the, the odds are very firmly in the favour of a dry rest of spring and a warm rest of 2023. Mm. So, yeah, what we've had so far, the tr- all signs are that that's going to keep going. So in addition to being uh, the dry September for Australia, September was also the world's hottest. Can you tell me anything about that? Oh, it, it's really remarkable how many records we've been breaking this year. So July was the world's hottest month on record, um, and just ever since then, it's been consistently hotter than ever before. And September was off the charts. It can, it, I guess it's a bit hard to explain without seeing this graph, but if, you can, if anyone wants to you know, look it up in their search engine and just have a look at it, you can see just how, how far above any other September on record the global temperatures were. And, and Australia was a big part of that as well. You know, it was, it, we were the third hottest, it was our third hottest September overall on average, but... Western Australia, New South Wales and Victoria all had their hottest September days on record. In New South Wales, the average maximum temperatures were five degrees above average for September. So it's been really hot here and it's been really hot across the globe. One climate scientist actually um, tweeted it and described it as absolutely gobsmackingly bananas in his professional opinion, which is not the kind of normal scientific language that you hear, but I think it it puts into context just how hot it's been. Gee, yeah, it, it certainly has been hot and dry. National weather reporter Tyne Logan joining me there. Thanks, Tyne. Thank you. Sticking with the weather and crops and pastures in New South Wales will get a boost from the rain that's fallen across much of the state. The Riverina in the state's southwest had good falls and so did the southeast where they've been saying they're in drought, but it was a bit mixed in the northwest. David Clawton filed this report with some very happy farmers. Well, it's been a fantastic rain, especially the way it's fallen. It's come down vertically, it's not horizontally and hasn't damaged any of the crops. It's, uh, we've had 70 mils in 12 hours. That's farmer Mick Katakri from Daniloquen, who's had a pretty good season overall. It's going to mean that all the crops will fill and we'll have good quality grain and uh, you know a lot more revenue from those crops. So the money will, will be spent in the district and um, it's good for the whole river and the whole community. In the central west of the state, they were pretty desperate for rain, but they had 20 to 40 millimetres. Neil Westcott farms 2,300 hectares of mixed crops at Alectown, just north of Parks, and he told Alex James it was the first rain he'd had in a month. With such a, such a hot and dry September, at such a critical point of the crops' development, uh, the yields were definitely going back, and and uh, this was um, this rain was, um, I would think most would say too late, uh, but it would uh, it, it will certainly help um, maintain the current yields we have in those crops. How much rain did you did you get yesterday and overnight? Uh, look, we have 14 mils here at Alectown, and um, I noticed Parks Airport was around the inch, so it was a it was a really timely and lovely lovely rain, and should get most crops in the in the Shire home. Those that uh, those that haven't been fed off or or just discarded for other reasons, it's. Uh, it's uh, going to going to bring home a harvest of, of um, some note. I would say an average, just slightly less than average harvest. If you didn't get any rain yesterday, would it have been a matter of putting stock onto the crops? Would it have been that bad? Look, it, it has happened, um, certainly north and west of here. But for us, we were probably not. We, we um, we're crop crop only here, but uh, 
the 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 weight and and yield of the crops was going back daily, and hopefully this rain will put a line under that, and uh, and we will have some some harvest. Well, uh, we'll have a harvest, uh, uh, which is not not going to be the case further north of us for sure. Things have been very dry in the northwest of New South Wales. Narrabri agronomist Mitch Kuehl told Lara Webster the rain came with some stormy conditions. Just light scatterings of hail from uh, about Marah North um, down through followed the river sort of south of south of the Nemoy River. So we'll get out today and have a look at a, a few crops, um, particularly we've got cotton um, coming out of the ground and, and corn in those areas and yeah, obviously some some crops that have already um, come in, such as wheat and chickpeas. So we'll assess the damage where that hail's been and, yeah, make the call. Where we had that, that hail in particular, we, the wind gusts up to 100 kilometres an hour. So, yeah, quite uh, not ideal. It came with, with some rainfall, but, yeah, probably would have rather not the wind and the hail. Rain will help crops that have just been planted and cotton crops, which are due to go in soon. For the winter crop, we're, we're pretty much uh, done and done and dusted. Um, it'll, if anything, it'll probably bring the bring the crop in a bit quicker and bring harvest on sooner. Um, more so, it might help um, a few of the farmers that have already planted sorghum, for example, which were just on the verge of that marginal moisture. So it may may sub that moisture back up around that seed and get that crop off to a start. Um, and yeah, the areas where we had you know, 10 to 15 mil, um, the likes of dryland cotton, um, we might be able to pull the trigger there on some planting. On the Liverpool Plains, further south, some decent rain has cattle producers smiling. Neil Watson got just enough rain to make a difference. Well, we ended up with 15 millimetres on the dot. That's just enough to put the smile on the face, I suppose. Uh, It certainly gives us options, uh, particularly if we get another follow-up in 10 days or a fortnight because there are some trade cattle that we do want to sell and uh, it just gives us a little bit more time because, as we all know, the cattle market's in dire straits at the moment. Michael Shannon runs sheep and cattle on a property at Cathcart in the state's southeast. He told Josh Becker it's a welcome change to the last six months where it felt like the tap had been turned off. Ah, oh, terrible. Yeah, look, it's... <laughs> We last year we were too wet, now uh, too dry. I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like a farmer, aren't I, Josh? But uh, it's, <laughs> I guess I, 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 yeah, it's it's literally like the tap had turned off. I mean, we put in um, some um, tank monitoring systems on the farm, and uh, had they came with rain gauges. We put them in in June, and up until yesterday, we'd had 19 mils, um, and that was from the middle of June, and. Yeah, I was talking to a few people the other day, and there was a remark that um, on someone's someone's been recording the rain since 1971, and that's the driest spell they've had for that length of time. Mm. Um, just literally no rain. So um, I wouldn't say 30 mils is a break by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a start. So just uh, looking forward to seeing what the rest of the season's got to hold for us, and um, and what these markets are going to do. New South Wales cattle producer Michael Shannon ending that report by David Clawton. Up to Queensland now, and as we move closer to what's predicted to be a very dry summer, cattle producers are trying to make the most of what feed they have left in their paddocks. It's a long and slow process, but one outback droving team are walking 2,000 head from the Gulf of Carpentaria to central west Queensland and taking advantage of the feed along the state's stock route. Madeline McCosker filed this report. 
Dust fills the cloudless sky as drovers on horseback slowly push 2,000 head of Brahmin cattle down a narrow dirt road. We're on the stock route between Winton and Longreach in western Queensland. The quiet of the outback is interrupted only by the shuffle of hooves on black soil, a crackly message over the two-way or a whistle to the working dogs. Yeah, bulldog. It's something you might expect to see in an old Western movie. But this is modern-day cattle droving. Bill Little has been droving Queensland's long paddock for more than 40 years now. Fat, yeah. Married to the mob. <laughs> no, it's full on. Like We do the same thing every day. We get up early, we look after the cows all day, we try and get to bed early, just do it all again next day. Um, it has its good points and its bad points, but no, I'm still doing it, so it must be all right. Bill and his small team of drovers are walking this mob more than 2,100 kilometres from Julia Creek in northwest Queensland to Tambo in the central west. They've already been on the road for three months and walking less than 20 kilometres a day means they won't arrive to the Tambo station until early November. Even with the help of 23 dogs and about a dozen horses, it's slow going for the team of four. We don't even know what day it is half the time. It's probably not everyone's cup of tea. If you want to test out your um, relationship with your partner, just go driving for a while. <laughs> Cattle prices are falling and producers are preparing for the oncoming dry. For the first time since 2019, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator sits below $4 per kilogram carcass weight. Longreach livestock agent Boyd Curran is optimistic that prices won't stay low for long. Oh, look, I think the seasonal outlook is, is um, having a major impact on what's happening with cattle prices at the moment. I feel very fortunate that we've got uh, beautiful feed and we're able to take advantage um, of the lower cattle prices. And I have no doubt that when we see a break in the season, a widespread break in the season, we're going to see a major correction in these cattle prices. Back at camp, the droving team is up at the crack of dawn, packing up and preparing for another day on the long paddock. After a quick cup of coffee as the sun rises, they saddle their horses and take down the temporary fencing. In no time, the cattle are back on the road. Young drover Lucy Spranger didn't grow up on the land, but after hearing about the life of a drover from a friend, she knew that's what she wanted to do. I had dreamed of it for a long time actually, yeah, when I was 15, uh, Lily Pilly, a friend of mine, a neighbour actually back home, she was working for Bill and told me about it and I was like, far out, one day I've got to do that. And then I was driving up on, for a job in Mount Isa and I met Bill along the way and he said he's a drover and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, got to go there. <laughs> and yeah, so I'd actually heard about it a while ago and thought one day and yeah, now here I am. <laughs> and to her, there's no better job. Young drover Lucy Spranger ending that report from Madeline McCosker. You're listening to Countrywide. I'm your host, Kit Mocken. Countrywide, the voice of regional Australia on ABC Radio. To federal politics now, and the Agriculture Minister has dismissed a survey by the National Farmers Federation showing that the majority of farmers think the federal Labor government is harming agriculture. 1,600 farmers took part in the survey from the NFF and consulting group Seftons, which showed 54.3% thought current government policies were harming agriculture. Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt disagrees. 
Oh, look, I'm, I'm certainly conscious that there are some policies uh, that farm groups and, and individual farmers aren't completely thrilled about. But I think if you look at it in totality, uh, under the Albanese government, there's been a range of significant improvements made that benefit farmers each and every day. We've obviously really strengthened our biosecurity protections. Uh, I'm actually speaking to you from Hobart Airport, where I've just inspected their biosecurity arrangements. And of course, you know, touch wood, we've managed to keep out foot and mouth disease and lumpy skin disease when a lot of people thought it was inevitable they'd come here. Um, but, you know, also we've, we've taken real action to try to deliver uh, on the workforce needs of agriculture. Uh, it's not fixed entirely, but we've got more Pacific Island workers than we've ever had in Australia before. We've opened up new trade deals with a range of other countries to export more product. Uh, and of course, we're taking action on sustainability issues too. You know, I know that there's a lot of angst in particular in the livestock community at the moment about prices falling, and that is having a real impact on farmers. Uh, but unfortunately, as MLA and Rabobank and a number of others have confirmed, really what we're seeing is the market in operation. And we've got a massive oversupply, uh, particularly of sheep, but also cattle at the moment as well, which is impacting on prices. Uh, but look, we, we work as So do you think we, this as, survey is more about the politics of the farmers that are being asked? Or do, do you actually take responsibility for some of those decisions that may be adversely affecting the sector? Oh, look, I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to accuse people of engaging in politics. I mean, people are obviously entitled to their views, but I guess what I'm saying is that if you look at the full picture of what's happening with agriculture, there's a range of government actions that have occurred since we came to office that have been for the benefit of the farm sector, and we want to continue that. Uh, I don't think everyone's going to agree all the time on everything, uh, but, you know, I think when we, when, as I say, when we look at it on the whole, uh, I think that there's a lot of really positive things happening for the sector. And I know you've made some comments on this before, but but in terms of reiterating, a number of agricultural groups have written to you asking you to scrap the live export phase out, saying that is going to adversely affect an industry that's going through a downturn in, in particular at the moment. Given the state of the sheep industry at the moment, is it something you would consider? No, look, we've been very clear from the beginning that we intend to honour our election commitment. This is obviously something that we went to two elections in a row committing to do, but I've also committed to do it in an orderly, considered manner. Um, so there are some groups who want us to phase out this trade immediately, and we've said that won't happen. And very soon I'll be receiving advice from the panel about how we can do it. Um, but I think, you know, there are still real opportunities for the sheep industry as well, particularly onshore processing. And we see a really bright future for the sheep industry uh, as we make these changes. Agriculture Minister Murray Watt there responding to a survey showing the majority of farmers think that federal labour is harming agriculture. From the paddock to the plate, countrywide on ABC Radio. Truckies driving some of the key roads connecting South Australia and the NT say funding cutbacks in SA's transport department have left sections in an appalling state, causing vehicle damage and potentially putting tourists at risk. Aaron Luckraft is a self-employed truckie based in Port Augusta. He runs a triple cattle crate setup transporting cattle for clients in both states and he travels around 200,000 kilometres a year on those roads. He says that they're deteriorating fast. The last four years they've deteriorated pretty rapidly. It doesn't seem to be the funding up there anymore. Are there particular areas where it seems to have gotten uh, worse? Oh, there's always been bad sections of the road, like there's contractors that go up there and do sections of it, but they don't have the material in the road to work with to be able to do a decent job. 
So when you're taking your trucks uh, out along those roads, are they able to handle it at the moment or is it st- are you starting to see some damage as a result? There's always wear and tear, doesn't matter where you go, but our equipment, I'd call it reasonably new. Nothing's over sort of five-year-old. You know, we've got well-built and well-spec trucks and trailers. Yeah, but lately there's taken their toll, like the maintenance, just the corrugation, the stone, it's belt and tires a bit. Uh, stones rubbing through tanks, airlines, the uh, gates are snapping off at the world. Um, like I've got my trailers that I tow are under two-year-old and we've got a bit of damage there now. I'm just actually just got back from the shop buying bolts to bolt all the catwalk back on because it's just all snapped the bolts off and I've never had that happen um, with our older set of crates. just takes a toll on everything, drivers included. Yeah, and I imagine um, these are expenses you probably could do without. Uh, everything else seems to be getting more expensive, so this would be eating into the bottom line. Absolutely. My truck I've got brand new there. It's only done 45,000 kilometres, and, yeah, I'm already seeing like, signs of everything. It's just sort of getting belted by stones and whatnot. Like It's not ideal. No one wants to see their equipment going downhill like that. We yeah. try pretty hard to make, keep our maintenance up. Like I'm a mechanic by trade there, but... At the end of this season, we're going to have to pull everything off the road and go right through it. Probably, oh, I was just trying to think before, could be up to anywhere sort of $2,000 an axle to go through. And we've got 14 axles on each combination, not including the trucks. And yeah, sort of knocks the shine out of it a bit. Mm. With the cattle that you're, you are transporting, I imagine, is it adding time to your travel as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're on the truck for, you know, quite a lot longer than what they need to be. And just the dust that they're sort of whirling around between them trailers there, it's probably not ideal for them. And just being on the truck, putting up with the corrugation, it's sort of adding extra, you know, three or four hours to the trip. I think it was six and a half hours to do 270k, which is not really ideal. I wouldn't like to be on the back of it anyway. Do you see a point where those roads will be just inaccessible for your trucks or you, you'll just simply not want to drive on them anymore? Well, yeah. I mean, I hope it doesn't come to that point, but it's... It definitely takes its toll on you. Um, I've, I've made some phone calls to dip tie there and, you know, reported sections and, um, you know, they've acknowledged it and I've got phone calls back, which I appreciate, but they're just simply saying the funding's not there, you know, like at the moment to um, be able to repair that section. Like there's contractors that go on there and do good jobs, but they nearly get it to a uh, sealed section you know where it could be sealed but they just obviously don't have the money to be able to do it but it just seems to be like there's sections there uh, on that Udna data track it's only just re- like recently been done but all the fines are blown away it's just stone and corrugation now and some of those hills you find it hard to get enough momentum to get up on top of them like you know a lot of the weight we're towing is probably 130 ton and you don't want to be spinning wheels on there because it'll shred your tyres a bit. Trucky Aaron Luckraft speaking with Selena Green and the SA government did send the ABC a statement in relation to this story. They said that they were aware of sections of unsealed road that had deteriorated due to dry conditions. They said in response they are prioritising grading works and they are aware of how important the route is for outback communities and are endeavouring to have it resolved as soon as possible. You're listening to Countrywide. I'm Kit Mocken. 
As well as out-competing native species, invasive ants are able to prey on Australian animals and can cause havoc to agricultural systems by damaging infrastructure and ruining crops. A computer game once given away to kids in cereal boxes is now helping scientists fight the invaders. Megan Hughes has this report. If you're a millennial or just enjoy playing computer games, that sound may trigger some nostalgia. It's to signal you're under attack in the Age of Empires computer game. Australian scientists have taken this classic strategy game and are using it to simulate ant warfare. Ants are one of the few groups of animal species in which warfare resembles human warfare in terms of scale and mortality. So that meant we were able to use some well-developed theories of human warfare to look at ant battles. That's Dr Samuel Limbury, who undertook this research through the University of Western Australia and Australia's national science agency, CSIRO. Using the game, the team built armies and battlegrounds of different sizes and shapes and watched them fight, then mapped the results. What we did is we selected soldiers that clearly differed in their individual strength or their individual combat ability and we formed small groups of strong soldiers and we opposed them to increasingly larger groups of weaker soldiers, individually weaker soldiers, in simple open battlefields and in complex uh, battlefields with complex terrain and alleyways to defend. The armies created in the game behaved in a very simple, predictable and quantifiable way, which allows mathematical models of warfare to emerge. The researchers then conducted experiments with ants and compared the models to the live ants that behave unpredictably. For this study, they looked specifically at two types of ants, the native Australian meat ant and the invasive Argentine ant. We confirmed the idea that small armies of the strong meat ants performed much better against the large armies of the weaker Argentine ants in the complex than in the simple environments. Putting this into some real-world context, a simple battlefield would be a footpath or an urban park, and a complex battlefield would be a bushland strip with undergrowth, small bushes and woody debris. Dr Limbury said his work could help with eradication efforts. Further down the track, future management techniques might be able to, to help combat some invasive ant species by introducing some undergrowth or some ground level complexity back into urbanised or disturbed environments in order to tip the competitive balance in terms of um, direct warfare interactions back in favour of the larger but less numerous native ants. Across the country, 50 different species of invasive ants have established themselves, including electric ants, fire ants and yellow crazy ants. Invasive Species Council Principal Policy Analyst Dr Carol Booth says they're hard to get rid of. For Australia, ants are one of the worst invasive species problems we have. So why are they so bad? What sort of impact do they have? One thing is, you know, they're tiny and they're great travellers, so they move around the world, hidden away in all sorts of goods and in the nooks and crannies of containers and on shipping. In combination with being highly aggressive and highly social, it means they can dominate vast areas. One of the things about some of the invasive ants is that they can form these vast super colonies with multiple queens and many interconnected nests, which allows them to achieve these really high densities over vast areas, which means you know they outcompete other ants, they can prey on all sorts of animals. So they essentially suppress the populations 
of a lot of other species around them. At this stage, the study is specific only to the Argentine and meat ants, but Dr Limbery hopes to expand it to other species. And if you're thinking it must be fun to play a computer game for work, it may not be as much as it seems. It was chosen as, a, as an engaging way of sort of illustrating our results. That particular part of it wasn't super hard work. But also I would say that this is probably the most boring way to play a video game. In that <laughs> in, a, in a scientific way, what you want to do is set up exactly the same scenario over and over again, um, run it in a very repetitive fashion and not interfere too much. So if you want to actually get, you know, some recreation time out of playing a video game, this isn't the best way to do it. <laughs> Researcher Dr. Samuel Limbery ending that report from Megan Hughes. That's all we have time for today on Countrywide. I'm Kit Mocken. It's been great having you along. Catch you next week.